The Big Issues is brought to you with the kind compliments of Kendall Machine Shop. Does your car make a squealing noise and or your brake pedal vibrate when you apply your brakes? Like brake pads, brake rotors don't last forever. Rotors wear and can also become warped. Your brakes are one of the most important features on your car. At Kendall Auto Care Machine Shop, we can resurface your brake rotors without removing them from your car, saving you time and money. Visit us for a free inspection today. Call Kendall Auto Care at 562-1362 or visit us at the Factory Road Branch. Now on this segment, there's going to be a bit of a lengthy introduction. Uh, it seems only that when a falling out occurs between friends or even foes in politics does the public gain a glimpse at the true nature of political corruption. But that nature is not unknown to us, and by us I mean any citizen or resident of Antigua and Barbuda. It is a fact that we live in a corrupt country. That fact, though borne out by numerous scandals throughout various administrations in Antigua and Barbuda's history, is often denied, usually by any sitting government, whichever is in power. The truth there is that very little stands in the way of corruption in Antigua and Barbuda. In a parliamentary democracy, the greatest constraining factor that limits the ability for abuse of public office by public office holders is the effective functioning of a parliament. A parliament or an assembly or a congress is meant to be the body to which the executive cabinet is accountable, but this system is fatally flawed in Antigua and Barbuda, as it is in most other small island Caribbean parliaments. That is because with so few seats in parliaments like ours, the executive, being the cabinet, is almost always the majority of the members of parliament anyway. Uh, the system is flipped on its head in this way. In the UK, for example, where parliament has over 600 persons, it is a far larger body than a cabinet of, in the UK, 22 people. This means that the executive group must routinely return to the larger parliament to justify its policy and argue for its legislative agenda to be passed. Uh, this has never occurred in Antigua and Barbuda, just as it has never occurred in many other small island parliaments. With so small an overall parliament, the executive is always the majority of the members of the House, so it really does not have to convince anyone of its policy or agenda, nor does it have to compromise at all in order to get votes needed to pass bills and motions. The effect, therefore, is that every five years or so, we elect an executive that is accountable in practice only to itself. It is numerically impossible for a cabinet to lose a vote simply by voting as a cabinet. In our system as well, this means that there is virtually no backbench. In the traditional system, backbench MPs consist of the majority of a parliament. These are government MPs who do not sit in the cabinet or opposition MPs not in the shadow cabinet. The benefit of backbenchers is that even if they are from the same ruling party, they do not sit in cabinet, are not beholden to the leader for their position in cabinet, and can often act with a free hand to criticize the government's policy and actions. The next problem we encounter is that, with so few seats, we have instances where the opposition is almost completely wiped out of Parliament altogether. In a political system that is designed to function with an opposition, in Barbados, for example, where the last election there was in 2018, uh, the current ruling party of Mia Motley won all 30 seats. Uh, this has happened in Grenada as well. It nearly happened in Antigua and Barbuda, leaving us with our current 15-2 split. Uh, now, so far, this arrangement has already produced a system where the executive is not accountable to a parliament that is numerically superior to it. It's produced a system where there's no backbench of the ruling party to constrain the cabinet in any way, and where the opposition could easily cease to exist in the lower house simply by marginal swing. 
then comes the problem of having absolutely no parliamentary committees. A parliament ought to have committees of MPs set up on various issues, education, health, public safety, finance, agriculture, for example. Uh, these committees examine the government's activities in detail, having the power to summon members of cabinet before them, as well as agency executives and civil servants, to answer questions about how public affairs are being managed. Uh, we have no such committees to scrutinize anything, including the odd scandal now and again. So effectively, in Antigua and Barbuda, we have a parliament in name. Uh, it acts more like the legislature of a communist country. Uh, it acts as a rubber stamp for an executive, whichever is in power. Uh, and it is summoned at the executive's behest instead of being permanently in session, of course, because the majority of its members are in the executive. Now that's parliament, and that was a mouthful, but bear with me. And now we get to the issue of the other institutions that could offer some resistance to corruption in Antigua and Barbuda. We have a police force, but it seems we have developed the convention over the years that the police force does not probe corruption against the sitting government unless so done with the blessing of that government itself. We have an indescribably useless body known as the Integrity Commission, which is in practice a glorified committee whose job it is is to receive asset declarations from those public officials who feel like declaring them and then keep that information secret. The Integrity Commission does very little to probe corruption, uh, nor has it ever done anything significant under previous administrations. Uh, we have a director of public prosecutions, but that official seems constrained by the role of prosecuting matters brought before them, uh, not initiating investigations. Uh, so the truth then is that we live in a country where regardless of which political party is in power, the only constraining factor on the tendency of public officials to engage in corrupt acts is their own moral compass. Uh, we have a system in which executive government is policed solely by the morals of its members or lack thereof. Uh, this reality is demonstrated by the fact that whenever there is an official pronouncement about alleged corruption or interventions to prevent corruption, they are not coming from the Commission of Police, uh, nor from a parliamentary committee, nor from the Integrity Commission. Invariably, whenever there is an official pronouncement about alleged corruption or interventions to prevent corruption, it is coming from the mouth of a politician, usually in our case, a member of cabinet or the Prime Minister, Gaston Brown. Uh, this was the case in Parliament during the budget debate when Brown was responding to St. Peter MP asset Michael and his criticisms of the government on a myriad of issues. Uh, Brown again revealed a new, never-before-publicized allegation of misconduct against Michael on national television. In summary, he claimed that at some point Michael sought a concession from the cabinet on paying property taxes on the sale of a high-value property which he owned to another high-net-worth individual. Brown claimed that Michael misrepresented the value of the transaction drastically to convince the cabinet to grant the concession, thereby benefiting from a waiver of a much, much larger sum. And the member for St. Peter had the gumption to stand up in this honorable house and to speak about the wave of taxes when he personally, on one transaction, got a waiver of $5 million by deceiving his colleagues. You see, my colleagues are shocked about it. We genuinely did not know. Uh, since 2020, Asset Michael has fallen out of favor with the Prime Minister, ostensibly over the Peter Verdi energy scandal, which broke in 2018, in which Michael was revealed to have been working with the wealthy businessman, allegedly to receive expensive gifts and bribes. And I can say this in any forum. I have a copy of the, of the, of the um, transcript. So in as much as I relieved him of his position, and I did not say much publicly, I have irrefutable evidence of his conduct, and based on that, I have made a determination that he's unfit to serve in any government that I may lead. What's very interesting in the revelation from Brown is that allegedly attempts by MP Michael to, as Brown put it, abuse public resources were numerous throughout Brown's time as Prime Minister. 
the biggest challenge that I have had in my political career was to literally control the member for St. Peter to restrain him from abusing public resources. That has been my biggest challenge. Indeed, Brown made it clear that there is or had been much more attempted corruption occurring in his administration than had ever been revealed to the public when he said this. But, Mr. Speaker, there are many instances of attempted abuse. And this? Mr. Speaker, I've dealt with that distraction. I have nothing further to say, even though there's a lot more that will be said maybe in another forum at another time. Uh, now, Asset Michael is perhaps the most scandalized politician in the history of Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, he is infamous for coming under investigation during the IHI scandal. Documents and recordings related to it expose further allegations of corruption. Uh, Brown had been accusing him of never-before-heard misconduct since 2020. Uh, Michael was recorded by German police discussing bribes in the Peter Verdi energy scandal. The former police commissioner, even Wendell Robinson, alleged a grand conspiracy to remove him based on the bribery of officers to give false testimony against him. He alleged that this grand conspiracy involved Asset Michael and Steroy Benjamin, among others. Of course, there was denial. Uh, in 2020, a WhatsApp message in circulation, which Asset Michael attributed to Gaston Brown, accused Michael of misappropriating relief money from Hurricane Lewis. Uh, Brown avoided comment on the matter for days, then claimed not to have published the message while not having denied authoring it. It was scripted as if coming from the Prime Minister, as the author discussed barring Michael from, quote, any cabinet that I may lead. Uh, the WhatsApp message from 2020 read, quote, When Antigua was struck by Hurricane Lewis, you and others plundered the state and spent nearly $2 million of the $3.5 million in relief money on yourselves and purchased a house for a member of the Bird family from the proceeds. Uh, two Fridays ago in Parliament, during the budget debate, uh, Gaston Brown repeated the same allegations in Parliament, adding to the likelihood that he authored the message. Uh, something he has never denied, but simply refused to admit publicly. Mr. Speaker, we could have had a similar situation that happened in 1995 with Hurricane Louis, when $3.5 million was abused. The member for St. Peter tried the same thing under my government. I had to stop him. And now that last part, it nearly happened again and I had to stop him. It's interesting that the Prime Minister should be revealing that publicly now. Uh, it's the closest he's come so far to admitting knowledge of another allegation of corruption in that original WhatsApp message. Uh, this time one about an alleged attempt to inflate contracts after Irma. Uh, the 2020 message had read originally, quote, Let me remind you of the numerous attempts by you to inflate public contracts for your own benefit, including the $4 million to repair Barrymore Hotel to house the Barbudans after Hurricane Irma. I personally intervened, stopped it, and got the contract reduced to $1 million, much to your chagrin, end quote. Uh, in addition to his long-standing refusal to admit authoring the message, Brown also refused to answer questions about the same allegation directly put to him in Parliament by opposition MP Trevor Walker back in 2020. Can the Honorable Prime Minister tell the nation whether or not it is true that he had to intervene to prevent the member of St. Peter from inflating public contracts for the repairs of the Barrymore Hotel from $4 million to $1 million? Mr. Speaker, evidently I am not the subject of that question, and I believe that that question could be better put to the member of St. Peter. Thank you. There was also the allegation from the WhatsApp message of attempted enrichment by Michael at the port. The message read, quote, you tried to direct the port contract to China Harbor and requested a commission of 25 million U.S. They brought it to my attention and I had to intervene to protect the image of our party and country, end quote. Again, in Parliament of 2020, the Prime Minister was asked of this allegation and again refused to offer an answer. Can the Honorable Prime Minister tell the nation if it has ever been brought to his attention 
that the member of St. Peter tried to direct the present port expansion contract to a company called China Harbor and requested US $25 million as commission for himself. Mr. Speaker, as I said before, uh, that question and the previous ones, they would be more appropriately directed to the Honorable Member for St. Peter. And meanwhile, the institutions which should police corruption and abuse are completely defunct. Uh, and little has ever been done under this administration or its predecessor to fix that situation. In the midst of this, the Prime Minister routinely declares that there is no corruption, no abuse taking place under his watch, yet he routinely arrives before the public to share new, never-before-heard allegations of attempted corruption, and usually when they are politically expedient or when he says that he has stopped them. The myriad of allegations against Asset Michael have only come out from Brown, now that Brown is personally fed up with the St. Peter MP and attempting to get him off the party slate for any upcoming election. Uh, Brown's handling of the matter is perhaps similar to another instance around March 2018, before the general election, when his confirmation that he was aware of the allegations against then-Senator Freeland in the customs auction scandal caused that matter to explode in the media beyond rumors. Uh, yet as swiftly as the then-senator resigned and abandoned his hopes for candidacy, uh, Brown was no longer willing to discuss the scandal. Uh, the senator happened to be contesting the party nomination for the same seat that Maria Brown, the prime minister's wife, now occupies. Uh, so the questions for the prime minister become rather obvious. Why, if you were aware of seemingly rampant acts of alleged corruption or rampant acts of attempted corruption, did you not remove Asset Michael in 2015 or in 2016 or before the Verdi scandal in 2017? Why, after sacking Michael, a man who you have accused of compulsive dishonesty, did you welcome him back into your government after the 2018 elections? Why did you support his candidacy in 2018 at all? Uh, why are we only now hearing of these attempts at corruption spanning the duration of your administration? Why does the public have to rely on the political directorate to get that information? Uh, where are the police, the Integrity Commission, government's auditors? Uh, why have none of these new allegations ever been publicly known to be the subject of any criminal investigation? How can you claim that the government is free of abuse and scandal while simultaneously withholding information of attempted abuse and scandals? Are you absolutely certain that on every single occasion that someone has attempted to abuse public resources that you have been there to stop them? Can you assure the people of Antigua and Barbuda that things aren't slipping through the cracks left by our completely inert enforcement infrastructure? The Integrity Commission, for example, is so ineffective that in 2018, after years of arguing that its legal interpretation of the Integrity in Public Life Act meant that it could not investigate corruption without a complaint, did an about-face and said that it had gotten new legal advice to say that it could and that it was going to investigate the asset matter. And then it did another about-face and said that it had changed its mind and no longer was of the opinion that it could investigate corruption without a complaint. And in any event, complaints filed and received by the Commission are not actually acted on with any urgency or intensity due to the fact that, according to its chairman, Radford Hill, there's no real budget, no significant staff, and no real means of doing its job. Uh, but coming back to the, one of the earlier questions that uh, any sensible person might think the Prime Minister ought to answer, uh, why did you not remove Asset Michael at the first sign of attempted abuse? Uh, Brown was asked such a question in Parliament back in 2020. Can the Honourable Prime Minister tell the nation why, after all these alleged acts of malfeasance, that no member of his cabinet has been reprimanded? Well, you know that's really not national policy. You don't need that. I'll answer him nonetheless. Election time, you get an <laughs> at the appropriate time. Right. So, Mr. Speaker, the member spoke about judging me. Now, clearly, the questions are not about my conduct. 
So I can't see how anyone could reasonably judge me for the sins or acts of commission or omission of others. But insofar as the statement that was made that um, no action was taken by anyone in my government, we do know, Mr. Speaker, that there have been some infractions comprising, I'd say, a few members of my government, not limited to elected members of parliament or cabinet ministers. Remember, and we Honorable are, Prime Minister. No, no, I'm not getting any details. I know, but this is your... Remember. Yes. It's the question, Prime Minister's questions are not for debate. Correct. You'll give your answer. Correct. That's it. Correct. But as I'm saying, it's not a long answer. Uh, so I'm making the point here that wherever there have been infractions, that I would have um, taken appropriate action to preserve the integrity of the government. So on this segment, we'll ask what has the ongoing, and thanks for staying with us throughout that long introduction. So on this segment, we'll ask what is the ongoing spat between Gaston Brown and Asset Michael revealed about the nature of corruption in Antigua and Barbuda. Joining this panel, we have Mr. Akash Maharaj. He's an ambassador at large for the Global Organization of Parliamentarians Against Corruption. We also have Dr. David Hines, a native of Guyana, a political analyst, and he's also associate professor of African American and Caribbean studies at the Arizona State University. Uh, good afternoon to both of you, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Mr. Maharaj, there is no abuse occurring in public administration in Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, there are only attempts at abuse. And every time <laughs> such an attempt is made, our Prime Minister is there to stamp it out. What do you think of that? First of all, I have to congratulate you on your summary of the situation. That was a, a tour de force. Look, it was a, a wonderful overview of the structural challenges facing Antigua and Barbuda, its political system, but and also of the particular... Uh, question of corruption in, in the country. I would say flatly, obviously, any sensible person will conclude that what the Prime Minister is saying is nonsense. By his own admission, he, he listed off an almost endless series of acts of either actual corruption, for example, claiming that Mr. Mr. Michael defrauded the people of Antigua and Barbuda of $5 million in property tax, taxes through a, a fraudulently obtained tax concession, or attempted corruption uh, that he valiantly and heroically put a stop to. But it that leaves two major issues on the table that he has not addressed. Firstly, Mr. Michael and every cabinet minister is in cabinet because and only because that minister is there at the gift of the prime minister. It is the prime minister's unqualified right to determine who is and who is not in his cabinet. The Prime Minister is effectively saying that Mr. Michael is one of the most corrupt people in Antigua and Barbuda, indeed one of the most corrupt people in this hemisphere. Nevertheless, the Prime Minister chose to put him in his cabinet and keep him in his cabinet. At a minimum, that is an indictment of the Prime Minister to say that he has been an accessory after the fact and indeed an enabler of corruption, first by putting someone in the cabinet who he, whom he knows to be corrupt, secondly, allowing that person to remain in cabinet despite acts of actual and attempted corruption, and thirdly, failing in his legal ob ob obligation to the people of Antigua and Barbuda to inform police authorities of acts of corruption that he has personally witnessed. More seriously still, you have to ask yourself, what does this say about the entire political class of Antigua and Barbuda? Because effectively, a prime minister's responsibility is to choose the best and the brightest to be in his cabinet. The Prime Minister is saying that a man whom he believes to be, whom he knows to be a crook, is still better than the majority of members of his own party, and that is why he placed him in cabinet. The entire thing is preposterous. Clearly what is going on here is that we have two men 
who have both acted outrageously, who are both now at one another's throats, and who are both now slinging accusations at one another, which they have previously kept quiet in an attempt to damage the other one. What we're seeing is a contest between two men, both of whom are saying the other one is the greatest scoundrel, and both of them are implicitly admitting that they are, in fact, themselves scoundrels, just not as bad as the other. Uh, Dr. David Hines, uh, what do the exchanges in Parliament um, from Mr. Michael and from Mr. Brown, uh, what do they say to you about the nature of corruption in Antigua and Barbuda? Well, um, I think to begin with, it gives the impression that Mr. Michael is the only public official who is corrupt in Antigua. It also gives the impression that the prime minister is an anti-corruption crusader and i think both of those things are incorrect as you pointed out in your um very lengthy and informative introduction that there are institutional problems but there are also problems of political behavior and political culture and those must go beyond two individuals when i listen to the exchange um i i i i conclude that we have had a failure of governance in antigua and barbuda and the rest of the english-speaking caribbean i know it happens in the rest of the world but that is not our business here this morning um, it means, therefore, that we have to take a very long look at the question of corruption and how the political system and the political culture facilitate um, uh, uh, official corruption. Uh, I, I, the, the public could easily get carried away. If you were from the opposition UPP, you would be, um, uh, you would like this kind of stuff because it is the kind of stuff that you can use the next election against um, the, the, the Antigua and Barbuda Labour Party. If you're a supporter of the Labour Party, you can say, well, at least the prime minister is doing something about it. And the problem really is Michael and uh, not something that is broader and deeper. So this is very worrying, um, both for Antigua and Barbuda, but for the rest of the Caribbean family. I know there has been a long view in the rest of the Caribbean that Antigua and Barbuda is perhaps the most corrupt country um, in our region, but I can tell you that is not necessarily true. It may be just a matter of what comes out or, or just a matter what the population um, allows to pass through. But this is extremely, extremely worrying. And uh, coming back to you, Mr. Akash Maharaj, um, on the issue of the culture of wrongdoing go, uh, and, and, and stamping that out, uh, how is a culture of wrongdoing going to be stamped out uh, if, when it happens, political directors handle it in-house? 
Uh, there's no public airing of it. There's, there's little to no known involvement of law enforcement or independent agencies. And if there is, it never results in a prosecution. Uh, it is kept a, a private party matter. It's kept between a small group. Um, th does that not tell persons and give them confidence that, you know, should you ever do anything uh, corrupt in government, uh, you know, it's, it's never going to see the light of day unless you fall out with your leader? Well, that's exactly what it does. During one of Mr. Asak Michael's speeches, one of the most, uh, to which the Prime Minister responded in those clips that you played, one of the most telling exchanges, in my view, was when he, Mr. Michaels was heckled by someone. I couldn't hear what the heckler had said, but Mr. I, I believe from the context, the heckler was saying something about where did you get all of your money. Mr. Michaels then replied by saying, and I quote, we will get to the source of your money one day too, so let's not get into that, unquote. I think that, in a nutshell, encapsulates what's going on in Parliament. Mr. Asset Michael did not defend himself by saying, my money isn't dirty. What he said to his heckler was, your money is just as dirty as mine. So don't ask me about where my money came from, and I won't ask you about where your money came from. It suggests that there's a cozy little relationship between the members of the political class where they protect one another so that each of them can be free to pursue corrupt practices. Well, Mr. Maharaj, let me... Let me um, because we, we we do have that clip. Let me let me let me pull up that clip for us, uh, and we'll just play that. Um, yeah, just go ahead. And I've assisted this country to transform people's lives. He himself, the honourable prime minister, went on his radio station in my presence and said, "There's no other philanthropic politician, kind-hearted and loving person." The night of my birthday, I sat in his radio station in the studio when he said so. So he can say a lie again. And yes, man, good, please. We will get to the source of your money one day, too. We will get to the source of your money one day, too. So let's not get in that because you had nothing prior to 2014. So that was the MP asset, Michael. It was actually the prime minister who was, who was heckling him. I see. Um, so, you know, I, I suppose coming back to the question, how, how do you change? A culture of wrongdoing or, or, or how do you uh, convince people not to commit wrongdoing if when they do it uh, there are no consequences I think the first step is by recognizing how deep the rot goes we're at a stage now where where corruption is only coming to light in Antigua and Barbuda um, not because the police are investigating it, not because the Integrity Commission is investigating it, but because other corrupt actors are using um, allegations of corruption against their enemies. I strongly suspect that if Mr. Michael and uh, Mr. Brown had remained friends, Mr. Brown would not be revealing all, the, all of these corrupt activities by Mr. Michael. He's not trying to give justice to the people of... Ant Mr. Brown is not trying to give justice to the people of Antigua and Barbuda. Mr. Brown is trying to wreak revenge on Mr. Michael. Having recognized that there is a problem with endemic corruption in the, in the basic institutions of state, my advice to the people of Antigua and Barbuda, based on my, my experience of such situations around the world, is that things have gone too far to expect Parliament to reform itself. The, uh, it is not that there are corrupt political actors in the parliamentary and political apparatus. It is that the parliamentary and political apparatus have become intrinsically corrupt. It's not that organized crime has infiltrated politics, it's that politics have turned into a form of organized crime. 
And in that context, the only people who can change the culture are the people of Antigua and Barbuda themselves. It has to be through through the action of civil society. It has to be through the activism of um, of individual citizens. It has to be for calls for legal and constitutional change. The reason that these people are getting away with these crimes is because they have concluded that there is tolerance for corruption amongst the people of Antigua and Barbuda. We're having a conversation now on the radio that is being heard by a significant percentage of the population of Antigua and Barbuda. The Prime Minister has made statements in Parliament where in attacking Mr. Michael, he, the Prime Minister, has revealed that he himself knew about all these acts of, of corruption and tolerated them until he had a, a falling out with Mr. Michael. The fact that they feel able to say these things in a public forum and the fact that they feel completely comfortable with the, with the knowledge that people like us will be discussing it in front of the public means that those political actors have concluded that the public either don't care or will do nothing about it. And the public has to show their political class that they do care and they will do something about it. The, the closest analogue I can think of um, to what's going on, on, on in Antigua and Barbuda are in post-Soviet states. That is to say, after the fall of the Soviet, the, the Soviet Union, in addition to being a totalitarian state, was a, a massively corrupt state. And all of its client states, the, the republics that made up the Soviet Union, were, were run by forms of organized crime, especially East, East Germany. After the breakup of the Soviet Union, all those new, newly independent countries found themselves with governments that were nominally or notionally democratic, but were in effect just forms of organized crime that had, had broken away from the old, old Soviet apparatus. In the countries that were successful or relatively successful in fighting off corruption, it's because there were social or political revolutions. And I don't necessarily mean <laughs> I mean that there has to be an, be a, a conventional revolution, but I, I do mean there has to be a social mm. turnover in Antigua and Barbuda. Let me bring let me bring uh, Dr. Hines and Dr. Hines uh, working in a system where the various institutions that uh, are meant to provide checks, balances, and policing don't work at least not to the extent that they should. What do you, what do you do? How do you solve the problem of corruption? Well, I would like to extend Mr. Maharaj's theory. Um, Ultimately, um, corruption has become normative in Caribbean societies. And I cannot pinpoint the exact date and time when we transitioned into this. But I think it has, it has a lot to do with the kind of individualism that has de developed in our region vis-a-vis -vis, um, accumulation of resources and accumulation of wealth. Um, if I can be a little bit ideological, I think it has to do with the rise of the new structural adjustment, neoliberal kind of political economy in which uh, the private sector and business and individualism have overcome nationalism. Um, and I speak about nationalism not here in the dirty sense, but nationalism in the sense of uh, people belonging to a space and having pride in that space. I think um, coming out of um, colonialism, we had a period when people had a sense of country, a sense of accomplishment, sense of togetherness. But once we transitioned into this whole notion of the private sectors, the engine of growth as um, collective socialism, 
being a failure. We move into this era of individualism. So we are recruiting politicians from an environment in which it is about me. I go into this job not because I want to serve people, but I go into this job because it is a route to individual accomplishment. And so we get to this point where um, we are scratching our heads as to what to do. Uh, at the level of the institution, yes, um, there's some there's some things that we can do. Um, you mentioned in the beginning that we have a, a, legislative, a legislative body that is hardly legislative because we have executive tyranny. And so perhaps we need to look at constitutional reform where we can have um, some separation of powers, as you pointed out, um, between the executive and the legislature. It's really scandalous that you can have um, an entire legislature, um, as in the case of Barbados, and almost an entire legislature is part of the executive. The legislature is supposed to be an oversight of the executive. So you have people in parliament um, who are oversighting themselves in the executive. It's ridiculous in the 21st century. And I think that we need to look at constitutional reform to have some separation between the executive and the legislature. Another reform that we really need to look at. Just to let you, just to let you know, Doctor Hines, um, we are going to end this segment on your 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 current round. So you can leave us with your final word as you answer that question. Yes, I would say that um, we should move to the point of ensuring that um, the first pass the post system, where you can have a bloated um, parliament and executives vis-a-vis one party and go to a more proportional representation system. So at least you can have the opposition in there as a kind of oversight. That, that may be a limited um, correction of the problem, but I think we can begin there. All right, and with that, we're going to end this segment here. We say thank you to Mr. Akash Maharaj. He's uh, an ambassador at large for the Global Organization of Parliamentarians Against Corruption. And we say thank you as well to Dr. David Hines, uh, Associate Professor of African American and Caribbean Studies at the Arizona State University. Thanks to both of you, gentlemen. The Big Issues is brought to you with the kind compliments of Kendall Machine Shop. Does your car make a squealing noise and or your brake pedal vibrate when you apply your brakes? Like brake pads, brake rotors don't last forever. Rotors wear and can also become warped. Your brakes are one of the most important features on your car. At Kendall Auto Care Machine Shop, we can resurface your brake rotors without removing them from your car, saving you time and money. Visit us for a free inspection today. Call Kendall Auto Care at 562-1362 or visit us at the Factory Road Branch.